0: I'm your host, Anthea Pocroy, and this is the third episode of Unframed. In this episode, I interview artist Ayanda Mabulu about his current exhibition, his practice, his spirituality, and his politics, and really gain insight into why he makes the seemingly controversial work that he makes. It was a really interesting and provocative conversation. Ayanda is a storyteller, and in between the swearing, he speaks passionately, critically, and poetically. I know that what he says, some people will love and some people will hate, but I'm really interested to hear your response to it. We spoke for almost two hours, so this is an edited version of it. If you can, you should definitely try see Ayander's show before it closes. It is at Kalashnikov Gallery in Bramfontein until the 2nd of July 2018. I'm still trying to get a rhythm with releasing the interview, so it doesn't leave you too much time, but otherwise you can find a lot of his work online. Just a warning that this episode contains a lot of profanities and language that may be offensive to some. But otherwise, please enjoy listening to my chat with Ayanda. So I am sitting with Ayanda Mabulu at Kalashnikov Gallery in Johannesburg in his solo exhibition called Concerning Violence. It opened on the 7th of June 2018 and is on until the 2nd of July 2018. Yeah. Ayanda, thank you for joining me for this episode.
1: Yeah, thanks. I appreciate your time, my sister. Thanks. And the energy.
0: Yeah. yeah. Could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Um, who is Ayanda Mabulu?
1: A human being. Uh, they call me Ayanda here in Johannesburg. Ayanda Mapulu. They call me an artist. I'm not an artist. I'm something between a human and a god. Yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Why don't you consider yourself an artist? Uh,
1: you know what? Sometimes, you know, you can easily be consumed and swallowed by a connotation, you know, and its limitations that it limits you only to become certain things. Sometimes artists, they become fucked, you know, by either those who run the institutions and stuff uh, to conform into certain standards and stuff, you know. And the artists, I think sometimes, not all artists, I respect the artists, fuck, I respect the artists, but not all artists, some of them. And I give all my respect to the ones who do things different, but some of the artists, you know, under the whole connotation, and the labeling of being an artist, sometimes they tend to conform too much to a point that they would allow themselves to be turned into walking zombies by creating this one thing, kind of like maintaining a certain identity to just feed, you know. So I don't want to do that thing, you know, I want to freestyle my shit because my life can't be written in pages, and it's not written in pages, so I freestyle my thing, so...
0: Given the nature of your work, would you refer to yourself as an activist in any sense?
1: You know, even in the kitchen at home, there's an activist, you know, either that activist uses spoons, you know, forks and spices to, to, you know, to push forward his activism, you know, in his own way, even in the garden and stuff like, you know. So most of people, they might not be activists, but they're taking part and parcel in the activism of our everyday life. So I'm part and parcel of that too, you know.
0: So I'd like to start by asking you about the exhibition that we're sitting in right now. I was here on opening night uh-huh. and instead of the gallery opening at 6.30 ah, as advertised, nice. it only opened at 8.30 or 9 p.m. I can't remember. But despite this, there were hundreds of people still waiting to get in. Yeah. Um, I was watching through the windows and the show was still being hung. What happened?
1: You know, sometimes, sometimes you must be uh, strategic about certain things. And we live in a highly censoring, fucked-up society. And we, you need to understand that if you cannot master the idea of owning your time, yes, respecting other people, owning your time, and the idea of a timing, then you're going to become a victim of falling into a trap of becoming someone who is enslaved by time, and the time machine, and what time represents. So, we live in a highly censoring society, and this came out after that incident. Let's call it an incident, or that creative process, which was a performative thing of hanging a show right at the time when it was supposed to be opened. Mm -hmm. And bear in mind, we spoke with with my guys here, uh, Matthew and MJ. Listen, we need to be creative at some point with things. So it would be nice to delay certain things because these fucking um, NC pastates and stuff in, 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 in the position of, you know, the political sphere and all that shit out there have filed a, a case against me collaborating with Human Rights Commission and shit, you know? And having a, a Nazi flag with Nelson Mandela becoming a, a black Hitler and now a Hitler at some point would be a thing that would have been censored, you understand? So everyone knowing that, oh, fuck, Ayana a police having an opening at six o'clock. We're going to be there. You would have seen some fuckers who are suffocating in masks and political masks and maintaining shit only with the facade, knowing that they're here to sort of like uh, act as CIAs and shit. Mm-hmm. You understand? So yeah. we had to eliminate the element of surprise and say, you know what? Ha, huh, you're so fucked. You come, <laughs> walls are empty, and this is going to be a performative thing. Because at some point, we have to have people engaged in the process. And works were dispersed in different spaces. Some in my studio, some at the framer, some with me, and some in the car. And I was so fucking drained and tired at that time. you know, Because for me, that was not a, a, a matter of um, creating a show, having everything nicely hanging on the wall, having people with glasses of wine on their hands, hitting the, the glasses like, ah, ding, ding, the ding, opening ding. speech and blah, 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 shit. That was not gonna be part of that. Mm. We had to do it the street way. Uh, people had to be kept outside, as much as it was, most of it wasn't planned, but I think it worked nicely because all those are diplomatic bastards and all those who think that we're professional with time and shit left. And they left the youth, the people who cares, who love the shit, and the people who are true to it. And they, they, won, they were the ones who were highly welcomed and they were part and parcel of the process, which was nice. So
0: whether it was on purpose or not, it conceptually worked for conceptua- what you're trying to it achieve. It conceptually
1: worked. And you know, there's a universe which is bigger than us. And there's God in us. And he sometimes or she sometimes that God become in charge. And as much as we can plan and say things are going to go according to this way, God and God's neznyanya come and ancestors to say, it's not going to be like that because you are the son of the earth. You are our son. We have sinned before you. And we're going to allow things to happen in a certain way so that you don't get into that trouble. That was powerful. Highly spiritual collective intervention between me and the people who love my work, not the buyers, n- not the collectors, the youth.
0: The amount of people at your opening is definitely testament to your popularity or notoriety, as some might say. Yeah. Over the last few years, since about 2012, you have been creating controversial paintings that depict South African and world leaders in compromising, sexual and violent ways. This has led you to receive an abundance of press, and for people across the country and the world to know your name... What's interesting to me is outside of art circles, Mm. which is a really difficult thing for an artist to achieve any kind of notice. So the fact that you have been so public and people are really taking notice of you. I guess my question is, do you use controversy as a tactic to be noticed?
1: I'm just doing my thing, you know. I think, you know, when a police hit someone and shoot someone in the head in the middle of the street... the police is exhibiting an idea of an instilled violence to those who are watching. And that's violence at its truest form, at its purest form, you know. And that police, when he does that, he does it most of the times, 99.9999% of the time, as an exhibition to create an instilled fear to those who are watching, to say, listen, this is how we slaughter one of you, so that you don't do this shit again. And people, they get scared with me creating that type of a controversial work is to take what that fucking policeman has done putting it in a public domain and allow it to be seen by people so that people can look at it and think. What I'm trying to say is that I cannot, I've got kids I've got a wife, I cannot deliberately create these controversial works just for the sake of controversy that would be fucking dumb of of myself and at the same time that would, would be fooling people who are watching the work and people who are coming to visit and I'll be using them as a foo- as fools. So I'm only taking what's happening out there in the street, what's happening in the offices, what's happening in Ganda, what's happening in the parliament, at Lutuli House and in all these boardrooms and shit, take it out and, and, and bring it outside to the public domain for people to see the beast behind those whom they seem to trust. So when you bring truth to the society, you don't know how people will react and respond. In the midst of me creating those works, as much as it is not my choice to create those works, because now art is highly spiritual, so I don't even choose to create those works myself, but at the same time, after finishing those works, then I become this thing worthy to be crucified and to be speeded on and I have to enjoy that pain. And the idea of identity slaughtering, if I were to put it in that way, by those, either the media, either the people who are denying what they are when they are portrayed on a painting or something.
0: Since 2012, around the same time that Brett Murray's The Spear controversy happened, there's been public outcry, there's been censorship at Joburg Art Fair in 2013. Um, You've received death threats, legal action. Can you tell me a bit more about that initial work? From Mm -hmm. that you originally made in 2010, that Mm -hmm. started to receive the notice in 2012. Yeah. And also then how this set you on the path of controversy for the last six years. So maybe you can also speak about the 2016 work, the Zuma and Gupta work, the 2017 Zuma-Mandela work. Yeah, so just basically kind of looking back at the last six years and these moments Mm. that you've been in the spotlight
1: the 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 twenty ten work no no something. You know when I create I don't create for this whole for this whole backlash or for controversy purposes. Oh, for fame, for that matter, because fuck, fame is is just a bullshit. Like no one wants that thing, you know. I wouldn't want to have. I don't want that thing. I hate that thing, you know. And if you're allowing, from from my point of view, as a, as a black artist and stuff, fame creates this—you allow yourself to be seen as this superior monkey amongst others, you know. And I don't want that thing, and I hate that thing. I hate that shit, like you know, because it's it's too much of a thing that violates your space, your privacy, and you as, yourself as a being. So I don't fuck fame. That 2010 work, I did it, you know, and I gave it to a friend of mine who's a custodian of that work right now, uh, and now it's kept safely. Brett Murray came out to do some stuff after my thing, and we neighbours with Brett Murray, and we are friends. Neighbours where? Neighbours neighbors at uh, at uh, Woodstock. Okay. At the time, you know, and we had conversations and stuff even before that and after that. And we both part and parcel of an industry that seek to eliminate others and sift the most fruitful ingredients to take you away from others so that they canonize you and all that shit and stuff, you know. That's the art world. He created his work. But the reality is this. Historically. For a black artist to even become a thing, which is close to it becoming a human being on its own, a thing, politically and historically, there has to be someone who seemed to be assumed superior than you when it comes to stature and shit. And from the black politics and the history of blackness and the history of whiteness, if we were to step into that, you can never be a thing unless... Someone white is. This is the history and the reality of the politics of us as human beings.
0: So you're saying unless someone white says you are a thing? Uh, they, that fucking thing.
1: validation, which is a fucked up thing. So listen, it's not Brett Murray. No, it's a game, this shit. Brett Murray is a human being. Brett Murray hasn't done nothing wrong. Brett Murray, he does his thing. It's his thing. It's his voice. It's good. Take our heads off because that was a powerful statement. What I did in 2010 before him was a fucking powerful statement. It's a play. It's a game. A game based on these fucking institutions built out of walls, sand, and bricks, and water. Gallerists.
0: I'm going to ask more questions about the gallery and your gallerists later.
1: Yeah, I'm here for that, you're (laughs) not my gallerist too. So. Okay. Yeah. Let's go. It's about space invading. And an artist becomes a pawn inside that shit. And the artist that I am, am, Ayanda Mapulu, is not represented by any of those fuckers. The art institutions, fuck them. Which means, fuck you, colorist. I've got a word that's <laughs> called, like, fuck you, colorist, you know? Even though I chose to fight my battles inside this gallery industry, which I turned into a boxing ring where I win my battles and come out victorious and leave them on the floor. That's what my strategy. It, what
0: does victory look like for you?
1: Victory means turning a gallery and decolonize this shit. So that my people, when they walk into that door, they don't walk, feel tall-walled and feel small in a space which has become a colonial backdrop for them to just dance like fucked up fashion monkeys and shit. Gallery is just a motherfucking space. Fuck it. So it's a sping between galleries, business, highly capitalistic fuckers, Because at the end of the day, that fucking structure made out of cement, bricks and water and sand will be standing when an artist is gone. And no one knows how much artists are getting fucked inside these fucking institutions. Emotionally, economically fucked by the institutions only to be left dry out there in the street. When they done, they're looting from an artist. It's politics. That is why I cannot be part of any gallery signed. I cannot. I refuse. I rebel.
0: What about a black-owned gallery? Let me tell you now.
1: There's black liberalism too. In politics, a wretched who happens to start singing the hymns, which are political songs of struggle. A wretched because you're so fucked by colonialism and shit. It has made you that. Then you catch up with the rhythm of those songs and hymns and songs of struggle. You become part of the movement. In the midst of you accumulating a position there, you start seeing yourself as the better black than other wretched and blacks who are the victims of the situation and the system. You start now seeing glitters on your forehead and on your eyes and you start having these too much white teeth that are no longer yellow because you're now eating pup. And you go and fucking maintain this facade when you're in front of the people as if you're one of them. Yet you know that you have accumulated a bourgeoisie status. A bastard and a hyena and a vulture that's there to pry on people's carcasses when they're on the floor. You wham your head of a vulture in the asses of the people as they are on the ground bleeding to death emotionally and psychologically. You go straight aimed for their, for their hearts because one of the rooms inside their hearts carries spirituality and the soul. They trust you because they know that you will, you look like them and you walk like them and you carry the culture that they understand and you speak the language that they have and they trust you. You fuck them up. They start to understand that, oh shit, our trustee, him whom we can trust about our thing, him whom we chose to like, we pray for his political nourishment and status nourishment. He becomes a better messiah than us so he can go and represent us amongst others so that our lives can change. You now undermine the prayers that they have sacrificed praying for you to be that thing. You fuck them up more when their carcasses are on the floor as a bourgeoisie fuck. You go out there, pry, you've got black skin, you walk amongst them, and you create an institution called a gallery. You start wearing these suits and shirts with foreign names and fucking things. And you know that blacks are born with creativity, spirituality, and a spirit of resilience. You know where to find them. In the dungeons, in the townships, somewhere there, starving and shit. Through their fingers, they eat nails when they're hungry, and they swallow those nails to fill their belly. You see them squeezing their fingers on a palette and paint directly from their finger to the canvas or a surface. And they put their names when they become one spiritually with that work. You take that thing, you turn your back against them. You hang it on your wall called a gallery. A highly capitalistic, white institutionalized fucking mimicry and space. You named it with an African name. That shit resonates with your people then you let them come in and you hang their shit, knowing that it's an act of crucifixion when it's on that wall because out of that work you in to earn and you will give them crumbs and you are there to maintain their state of savagery and you will prolong their demise so that they starve for more and give you more you're black and you think that you're better than the others you're nothing but a spit image of your former master because you loot on his behalf.
0: Ayanda, you are working within this capitalistic system. I read in the article that I think you said a price tag is like a noose around your neck. Um, exactly. How do you negotiate that? Firstly, what can you imagine the alternative of the art system being? And how are you actually working practically within that? I also read that you are not allowing any of the works on the show to be for sale. Is that the case? Is that still happening? And yes. how does a gallery, how does Kalashnikov work around that? I mean, pragmatically, there are quite a lot of costs involved in hanging an exhibition. How do you continue to sustain your livelihood, make more art without those mm. sales?
1: I sustain my livelihood by breathing this contaminated oxygen that we breathe every day. That's how I co- I sustain my shit. Listen, my lady. If we think that we're creating just to eat, that, that site need to be changed. If you think that your card and American Express shit and stuff is the thing that you will sort of like use, it's your license to just get the shit, you're wrong. If you have your fucked up attitude and you're going to take this art and flaunt it in front of your friend and you think that it's investment, fuck you. There's spirituality and there's my soul in this shit. We come from an era where black people were sold as slaves. And they at some point they were sold by the people of their own. And by some fucking slave masters and, and, and colonizers and all that, those predators and shit. If we don't look at our work and understand the power behind the culture of what we're creating, we're going to fall victims of having to perpetuate the idea that black people have never documented their own lives historically. We've been standing and saying, listen, our stories were, were, were more oral. We were poets and many things. We were covers of stones. We wrote on the sand. We take grass and bandage to create certain metaphors and shit. Even people who came to colonize couldn't even decipher. We, the creators of the hieroglyphics, we need to understand that art cannot only be commodified to fatten some fat fucker. This is not for that right now. That psychology needs to change because it is the same shit that makes those who think that they have economical wealth and power to think that what comes out of a black hand and a black person and a black artist can only be viewed only by an eye that looked at it as an unnutritious African street vegetable or an African street art. Our shit has been for many years undermined because we're playing on the hand of, hands of those who are fucking us up and we're allowing that to happen. We come in the galleries dressed up in suit and shit and trying to be like the others and we say, no, this is the money swag. We smile with our yellow teeth and stinging breath and accept whatever that is sort of like thrown on us and we forget the power of art and poetry that we put in our works and we undermine that shit because the only illusion that is sort of like hanging in front of us is that we have to be part and parcel of the city as an institution and a gallery that is there to constantly spit us out and we keep on knocking on its door for acceptance and validation to say if I'm part and parcel of you if I'm part and parcel of this uh, mainstream shit and stuff then at least I'm gonna become a thing, something close to a human at least This is not why I'm doing my art. This is not why we're doing this thing. I'm doing this thing for my people and to talk about what's affecting my community and my society in the time when I'm alive and given a gift by the ancestors to talk to the people. And I understand and I've been told that these are the ears that are highly ignorant. And the eyes that will come and see your work are the eyes that will come and piece into your work and burn it and cut it into pieces, chop it into pieces because those eyes are so fucking ignorant. I was raised by people in the township, in the wood, at the, in the middle of the 80s and shit. From the womb of my mom, she dodged bullet with me in the belly. And my twin may his soul rest in peace and my mom's soul rest in peace she jumped fences she was a rebel a black child with creativity in his stomach at the time a twin if you pregnant with twins you were meant to eliminate one twin because meant that one of him is a devil she carried me in her belly and my brother and she went out there and hustled making sure that we're both going to be alive and he's going to keep us. We were anointed with creativity and spirituality and beyond. She gave birth to our sister. And after giving birth to us, she gave us to be raised by a society of people who were misnamed as kefers, thugs and gangsters, pickpocketers and shit, who were revolutionaries against the injustices of apartheid government, who are so cornered in a certain situation for if they're trying to get out of the corner they were looked at as offenders and they were dealt with with violence they were taken and thrown in prison they were forced not to even have a pen and paper and they gave me the gift to speak the truth the gift of artistry to say go out there ayanda some of us are dead now we will visit you in your dreams, spiritually and beyond. Talk to these people. We gave you what we had. The only thing we had. We died in prison. Some of us were lynched. Now I take that gift. I come to back in the space of forgetfulness. In the space and illusion. I come here with a bag full of that shit. I put it on my canvases. And I paint it. I get crucified. And I put a price tag. And I forget about my people. I cannot do that. Hence, my work can't be for sale now. I cannot allow that shit to happen because it come too far. And these fuckers are buying our work sometimes. They put it in their lounge and spill wine on it when they're beating their wives. Fuck them. I can't let this thing happen. It should stop now. And it's time for you guys to understand that an artist got a say. I've got a power and I'm practicing it to direct the direction of my creative process. I'm existing. I'm alive. I'm too much present. Feel my presence. Be changed. I'm here to scribble your prescription. Be healed and be better, people. You ain't getting shit from my exhibition. And Matthew and MJ, I'm so sorry because they didn't know that the show is not gonna be for sale. I announced it at the day of the exhibition when people came to say, "Ah oh, shit, will something be for sale?" And for sale!" I'm like, "No, nothing is for sale. You ain't getting shit." Let me tell you something. A 20 liter bucket of paint paints the walls. How much is that, that shit is? A nail to hang my painting on the wall. It's one rent.
0: What about rental? I'll tell of you. Of the space.
1: Uh, it's their space. <laughs> yeah. It is their space. It's their burden to carry. And so how and did they
0: react to this? Were they accepting?
1: These are my guys. I box them around. They, they box me around and they like saying, you know what, Ayanda? We're not going to be like all these fucking art spaces. Who wouldn't allow that shit to happen mm. we know your reality we know you know our reality and people don't understand do it I, and i will accept it yeah. and i told them that now your gallery is no longer a gallery it will be a gallery afterwards when my work is not here but right now it's gonna be a cultural space where my people feel that they are part and parcel of being host of this reality that's on these walls i don't know maybe they're gonna hustle their ways to pay the rents and shit I'm hustling my way to pay my rent in my studio too. It's the reality. I don't know what's going to happen. What I'm saying is that this shit has to be practiced so that it inspires other black artists and other artists to say we're not part and parcel of these artists who are doing this unnecessary begging. We can be in charge of our shit and taking it forward and Mm. we're going to dictate our own direction. We need change. We need to be respected as artists.
0: You've spoken a lot about your spirituality. What is your relationship to spirituality?
1: I was born with that, and people think that, oh, that shit is a burden. From my introduction here, I said, that's me. These are the people and the spirit of the people and their lineage that I carry with me. As I'm sitting here with you, I'm not alone. I'm with them. They're here. They speak through me. I'm just a vessel. If I can dish them and dump them in this so-called Jopek city, this huge metropolis, capitalist space and shit and stuff, I'm nothing without my spirituality and in my art too. And in the midst of creating this work, I was crying at the studio, like literally in tears, and I spoke to my the other guy and my brother, and I told the other guy, Donald Masocha, that listen, Donald, bro, Bongani, who's my direct brother, my young brother, won't understand why I'm crying today. But I have to talk to my grandmother because she's here right now. And as in the midst of me creating this painting, she's with me. And she understands how difficult it is right now in the midst of me creating this painting. And this painting is training me. But I just want my grandmother to understand that spiritually, I feel here. Mm. And I feel her presence. And Which
0: painting is this?
1: It's the one with the, with the baboon skull. The what, one did, what does it
0: say on the it, work it, in it, yellow? It says, Mato,
1: matotan yami, meaning meaning. Men, women and children of the soil, borrow me a jacket because mine is torn apart. It's got its own direct translation too, but it's beyond that. It talks about how much wretched we are. It's a Zim Ngawana text, May His Soul Rest in Peace, called Deepaji. I felt his spirit in my studio and I constantly played that song. And I had to go to Faraday where the diviners and the healers are. And I spoke to them and I spoke to them and I spoke to them. And they gave me the head of a baboon. They took off the brain and they gave it to me. I had to talk to that baboon and spend time with it. And as 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 it was starting to rot in my studio, I had to now humble myself and become part and parcel of it. And tell him that I understand that you have a family. And your body is somewhere out there, headless, out there, rotting too. But I want to tell your children, and as much as you were a leader of the pride of the baboons, you leading another army now moving forward and i'm bringing you in a world which is highly foreign for you made of bricks sand and shit but your spirit will speak through the people who will see you because as i was told myself racially and shit in this racial society that you motherfucker you're just a monkey you're a kefir and shit let's take you spirit of the ancient as a papoon as you are take you to that racial society Exhibit between front of those people. Tell them who you are and what you represent. Through our scars, our pain and story is written. The pain and story of what they have made to us. But through you, hanging on that wall in that exhibition, you will portray to them what they have made of themselves. As much as you will portray to them what they have made of us. And I created that work. And at that point, my mom was there. My grandmother was there. Spiritually, I felt her. And I cried because it reminded me of how much we have made to be wretched. And no matter how much we try, knocking for validation in the world that will constantly kick us out, we are denied space. Our identity has become a type of a sin. The only sin that we have ever done was just that of us becoming ourselves. And that's how we get dealt with batons, bullets, guns, violence, and shit. So that that wretchedness can be maintained
0: You've just mentioned guns, you spoke about the baboon skull. Mm. I'd like to ask you about your use of found objects in this exhibition. I think you've come from a, a space of painting. Mm. Um, I'm interested in the shift of representation through a painting versus bringing found objects into the gallery.
1: You know, I said earlier on that, like, fuck, I'm not an artist, you know? Uh, and I'm not a painter. You know, if I feel like taking a soil and standing in the middle of the street, And do a performance. You don't even have to pay for it. And then I'm gone. The idea is to command the space. Matthew didn't even know what I'm creating. I didn't allow him to see because he's not my master. He's not my boss or shit. And I was not going to create something prescribed by someone else and shit. So they had to step back and I'm going to create whatever shit and then I'm going to bring it in. In the past years, I've been collecting through my journey these objects, guns and shit. Vinyls and shit. These are original slave shekels. This is a second, uh, a Boer War binocular case. That's an original Second World War Hitler bullshit gas mask. These are the 1700 Senegalese beads. And some of them, they're from Congo. And this is the wrapper, the tire wrapper. And if you understand the story and the, the, the history behind the wrapper. Necklacing. Necklacing. And that Leopold shit that he has done in Congo. Mm-hmm. Before, continental drift was a blame thing that made colonial um, uh, fuckers to use as an excuse to disperse and divide and conquer. But before that, people were people. Human Mm. were human, living as one in the continent. And they were one. Let's talk about Congo and Leopold and what he has done. And when he, according to him, discovered rubber in a space where people were already using that shit in their own way, he would tell a man to go and milk Let's use that term rubber out of the trees on a 20 liter bucket bucket ba- or something and if that shit that 20 liter bucket is not full with an instruction that says don't kill the tree and harm the tree cut it in a certain way and it's gonna drip one small 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 in that bucket and if that bucket is not full by the end of the day we're gonna rape your wife in front of you and you go tomorrow if it's not full again we're going to cut the hands of your child. And if it's not full again, we're going to cut his limbs. And if it's not full again, you're going to find your child as a carcass. And if it's not full again, we're going to cut your arms because now they're useless. The idea of a rapper came from that in these works. To talk about the politics of this shit and what's been harvested in Africa and turned into a commodified shit, to fatten and economically enhance other people's lives and leave Africans poor and dry to die there peacefully and the idea of now adopting that culture as the people now that we're talking about the post-94 bullshit in South Africa now and in other African countries their post-colonial shit and stuff and the remaking of a beast from you becoming this black leader and you becoming a beast and a predator like your former master and that thing that shows us that your only quest for power was just to accumulate and to fill the seat of your former master and do it on their behalf. Because in the former master's shadow, you see your definition of manhood. The works are talking about taking these tools and weapons of colonial and tools of colonial conquest and adopting them in the post-colonial discourse.
0: So what does taking these tools of violence and putting them in an artwork do?
1: This is to take... And talk about that and bring it to the people. Because bear in mind, this type of violence is maintained with a facade. And this type of violence is maintained with subtlety. And people don't see it because shit has been normalized. We sit and become watchers when another black nigger is sort of like dragged on the street to death. And some of us, as black as fuck, we're the ones who are perpetrating that violence. Because the men on the higher hierarchy, on top of the food chain, the leader, It's a true representative of what violence should be, because he's violent himself. Meanwhile, he's busy looting, and we are being economically deprived. So, I'm taking these guns, I'm taking these masks, and I believe that if I take some of them, if I take that gas mask, when you think that you have a thing to protect you when you're throwing tear gas on me, and you think that you're safe because you've got a mask, you're so fucked right now because I've put it in that artwork, so that people can see your face naked and see how you look without a mask and makeup, so that they can identify straight with the type of a beast and a predator you are walking amongst them. We take that gun away from your hands, put it in that artwork so that you see how it feels to be defenseless and to be disarmed. Take that slave shackle and we see how it feels to have a free slave. We put that there to conscientize people, to say, people, look at these weapons of colonial conquest, and we're going to take them and imprison them in these works mm. so that there's nothing out there.
0: Let's talk about the, another really controversial um, symbol in this space, the SWAT sticker. You spoke earlier about the black Hitler. Uh-huh. Could you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Mandela is a huge, 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 huge bourgeoisie motherfucker. Because you touch on the issue of selling and shit. Issue of selling got everything to do with becoming a sellout. And I created these works and I deliberately said they're not for sale because you think that I'm into score. Either to score points and to score economically. And that's not the case. Because people thought that, oh, Ayana is creating another... Pe- painting with Jacob's woman and shit and like, no, white people are paying him some money. This is some dumb bastard and fuckers who are sitting behind the desks and comfortably with their big bellies in their own homes. Let's show you how fucked up your god is, your demigod and all that shit. This messiah that you think he is, he ain't give a fuck about you. This motherfucker doesn't even give a fuck about his kids. This motherfucker died. He didn't leave a thing for his kids. This one, this is what he has done. Decolonization can only be achieved by violent means. If people were fucked and violence was the way, there's no way that Ramaphosa can discuss that shit over a piece of paper and a cup of coffee. Because white farmers right now, they say we have invested our shit in the land that we own. And now Ramaphosa comes out, I'm taking you to Mandela now, comes out to say, no, land expropriation without compensation, that shitty term, it's so elitist, that people don't understand that shit. And their only definition of decolonization they know is land grab. Nothing else. And if land prep is not happening, it's killing of the farmers. And on the other side, farmers are coming out to kill people for eating oranges. Now Ramaphosa, he doesn't care about white votes because white votes are for DA. So EFF came out to say land appropriation without compensation, we want land. This is a shit that Mandela didn't even achieve. And niggas and beautiful people with beautiful soul who interacted with people like Chris Arnie, they were killed. And he knows what happened. He mustn't lie to us and his, these ANC fuckers. They know what happened. Now, Ramaphosa knowing that we want black votes, it's about the votes. Now you go and whisper to the people that term landless population organization, taking away what EFF has started. You want that shit as it's, if it's yours and you brought that thing and you failed to come and deliver that thing in 94. Ramaphosa knows I want to milk you out of your votes. Let me tell you what you want to hear. I'm the promise for you to get land. He's some fucking capitalist. He is caring less because when my people are going out there doing that shit that they understand and they know and that shit that is true to them to get what fares the land, it is them who will be called brutal. It is them who will be given names as violent creatures. This is how Mandela doesn't give a fuck. People today still carrying sticks and stones. Defenseless as fuck. They so fucked. Mandela, yes.
0: No, this is the the comparison to Hitler.
1: Yes. Mandela came out in 94 as people anticipated to get their hero back. Cried bender sang songs. Chico sang songs, people sang songs, people prayed, prayed and prayed and mourned. They had nothing, but they turned that hunger into fasting for him to come out. He was busy being prepared, bleached attitude. He came out walking there with, foreign, with shirts with foreign names. Preachers speak lies on their lips. Desmond Tutu was there, there with a the nose like a vulture and shit. In Mozambique, when Samora Machel did that, it was his aeroplane that was flying over South Africa and asking and begging for a space to land. They watched him with their binoculars crashing close to Limbombo. He died. Mandela was called. Ksh, hello? Yes, Mandela. He's dead. We'll give you his wife as a trophy. Go out there and fuck your own people. Leave them landless and leave them starving. Go out there. Cordessa is there. We will n- negotiate our way into the cake. Maintain the violence we did to your own people, Mandela, will make you rich, motherfucker. She came out, Desmond Tutu negotiated the the marriage and shit, and he was so into this thing. He came out. When he went there, after fighting and sacrificing everything, she came out there to receive him. He went out there, and he knew when he had that feast up with Winnie Mandela, deep in his mind, he had a Hitler sign in his head. And if Hitler did that shit to his own people too, he fucked them up too. When Hitler take, he took his people and banned them in so people, in concentration camp and shit, hence there are this, 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 this mask. Here. When Hitler did that shit to his own people, Mandela came as a speed image of that when he left his people landless and he came out and created the so-called RDP to maintain the idea behind the Bandustan. And he came out with shirts with foreign names to the people who were wearing rags and toned down the type of anger they had. And he made them submissive creatures. And today, what God gave them is still in the hands of white people. And Mandela, what he has done, he didn't even give his wife Winnie a home in Gunu. How could he give his black people land? Something that will bring back the respect that they deserve. He has his own fuckers and people, cabinet of vultures in ANC and police as brutal fuckers, killing his own people, dealing with them in violence. Isn't that a Hitler, man? Come on. Your people now are here. Ayanda Mapulu is a witness. I've seen them. I'm seeing them every day. I'm part and parcel of them. Highly psychologically fucked, emotionally broken walking as a testimony of being a wretched having nowhere to escape because even if they were to lynch themselves and kill themselves and commit suicide God is right and these fuckers like Mandela maintained that shit and that violence and perpetrated that shit and today we're so fucked trapped in our bellies trapped in between our ribs and skeletons and in our minds we're so fucked emotionally broken and shit walking out there like walking zombies and having white people and all these fuckers and fuckers, these capitalist bullshits, eating in every fucking restaurant, exhibiting that shit that you will never have. And we go and bow onto Mandela, he's a motherfucker. He's a motherfucker, at least Hitler, ban those people and end his misery. Us, we smoke weed, we eat drugs, we smoke cocaine, we sniff glue, we drink alcohol, we sleep with roaches. We share meals with rats. We allow them to feast on our toes. To manage us when we're sleeping. Because this motherfucker maintained the shit that we ate right now. And there's no escape. Because even a hole where you're going to be buried is bought. And we ain't got shit. What is that? Tell me.
0: There's no way to really shift from this really like heated and passionate discussion. So I'm not quite sure how to m- to move forward. But um, I wanted to ask you some more mundane questions, maybe a bit more boring questions. Mm-hmm. Are you up for that? You spoke about moving to Joburg. I just wanted to know when you moved here and where were you before?
1: Okay. My mom was in Cape Town. I had to move to Cape Town. I had to find my mom and move to Cape Town. So I moved to Cape Town, not because I had to, I was looking for cleaner pastures. I moved to Cape Town, and Cape Town was the highly racial space, yeah. racist and shit. And I thought that township in Eastern Cape, King, less, King Williamstown. King eh? Williamstown, yes, as well, it's, is way far better than what it is, the one in Cape Town. And I never thought that Cape Town had a township. Yes, I knew that there's lung and shit. But I thought that, oh, fuck, that shit is a thing of the past and shit, you know? Not because I was ignorant to that shit. Maybe all those hostels and shit that were built for the harvested black men and working class is now changed into a better space for my black people in Cape Town. And if my mom is in Cape Town, is in a better place. I was so shocked. First time seeing a two-roomed house in Cape Town, 2004. A disgrace. It's two-roomed because go, it's got toilet, and shit.
0: This is in Kailicha.
1: No, in Danone. And Kailich are there the same. There's bed there, there's a chair there, there's a stove there, and there's a toilet. The stinge and the smell of food is mixed with the smell of shit. It's centimeters away. It's separated by a piece of wood.
0: So how has life changed moving up to Joburg?
1: Listen, my generation and the people that are my lineage, their civilization never start with, with slavery, being poor and hungry. I have to change that shit. I have to inspire my people and change other people's lives. And I came to Joburg not because I wanted Joburg as a space again for greener pastures and shit. It's not a place for promise to me, but I had to trace my mom's roots and her footsteps I mean, because he was part and parcel of the Sophia Town culture. So I came here and I lived in Sophia Town because I wanted to see the skies that were housing my mom now that she's gone. I needed to see her footprints. I needed to see what he, she saw when she was here as a Rolling Stone, working, hustling and shit. That's why I came to Jobek. And two, I came to Jobek because the intelligence was after me in Cape Town. There was a person who was calling me and say, Ayanda, move. We are after you. They coming, move. So I left and I came here and I wanted to be part and parcel of being another black man in the eye of the storm. Not trying to be a hero or whatever shit that is. I wanted to experience this shit firsthand. Then I realized that fuck Jobek. It's nothing else but a dungeon for black people. I've never seen human refuse made out of human beings walking. Than Jobbe. It's a hell for black people. I've seen it. I'm part and parcel of it. It's a hell. When you see that prostitute sell herself for 50 rand or 100 rand.
0: 30 rand near Nugget Square.
1: 30 Ren near Square. Yeah. When you see that shit and see all these fucking politicians buying them, mm-hmm. these fuckers who doesn't even understand the struggle and the hustle of that prostitute, then you understand that humanity is fucked. And you look around, we had a chance to change the psyche and the situation in 1994 and Mandela fucked it up
0: you know you speak a lot about the people and you seem quite community orientated um, I, yes i'm wondering i know you have a studio at uh, victoria yards in Lawrenceville. i'm wondering how working as an artist in a community affects you
1: positively listen i was part and parcel of greatmore art studios i left Greatmore more studios in a sad note you know i came here and then i went to big factory too and i left it on a bad note too Man, I came there at Back Factory, and I'm like, I wanna worship this space, and the people in that space. David and fought for Back Factory to be what it is. Pet Ma Utwa. You only know when you're in there. It's not what you think it is.
0: In what sense?
1: No. Yeah. All those fuckers there, to maintain the, the facade of what that shit represents, they there to create false hope to an artist. Sarah Hallett left Back Factory. That was my sister. Sarah was a mother there. Let me tell you, sister, Sarah was a mother at Back Factory. She carried the spirit of motherhood in her. Mm. And she would understand and artistically and everything. And she would call you separately, you know, with respect and talk to you with love. And at the end of that conversation, she will hold your hand and tell you that there's hope moving forward. That's Sarah Hallett. And in between those barricades that are called studios at Back Factory, shit was happening. Yeah. And the heads in the hierarchy of what Back Factory was, were so fucked. I was highly attacked, sister, at Back Factory. The intelligence, the ANC, collaborated with the Back Factory people. David Goloane was there as the a father to me and, and, and as an advisor and shit. But Back Factory as an institution teamed up with the beast, sister, and allowed ANC to infiltrate. And they allowed me to be cornered.
0: And at Victoria Yards, is there less politics in the space? Is there more freedom?
1: Victoria Yards became my space of refuge. Brian Green came to me and listened to me when I spoke to him. And he said, you're safe here. And trust me, Ayanda, no one's going to tell you shit here. And no one's going to do shit here. You're so secure to a point that everyone who comes to you will know before he gets to your studio. Don't worry, Ayanda. Even if I come to him and said, nigga, I don't have rent this month. You will just tell me, like, no, you can make it, you can do this shit. And you're gonna pay your rent. Go out there. It's fine, I'm listening. So you're good. I know you're gonna do this shit. Hustle is real. Go. To putting together my show, that community became family. And to the artists in Eastern Cape, in Limpopo, and all these places who think that some other fucked up spaces to create more bag factory and shit and stuff, like ah, there's hope and shit, they are in to be fucked. They are in to be sucked dry. It can only be based on independence for an artist to survive.
0: But independence within a community.
1: Inside a community yeah. that you can trust. That's the thing.
0: Yeah. And I have to end this conversation with one last question. Yeah. And I think you've answered it, but I just want you to kind of say it in one sentence. Yeah. What keeps you going and what motivates you to carry on doing what you're doing?
1: One is breathing contaminated oxygen, my wife, her family, my family. Azania, my daughter, Zion, my son, Timbuktu, my son, my brother, Bongani; Tsepo, my nephew, all of that. And you know what else? When I look in the eyes of the people who still have human in them, struggling, moving forward yet, their resilient spirit and hope written in their eyes and truth being spoken through their tongues, that keeps me going,
0: sister. Thank you, Ayanda.
1: Much respect.
0: Thank you. Amen.
1: Yeah, through spiritual intervention and collective intervention, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll do it. Much respect. Thanks, sister.
0: Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much to Ayanda for spending so much time chatting to me. Ayanda gave me a wonderful compliment after the interview, not verbatim, but something about having a really good and receiving energy as an interviewer and that I held a space for him to speak freely without inhibition. So I was really chuffed to hear that. So thanks, Ayanda, for the compliment. Unframed now has a website, an Instagram account, and a Facebook page. You can listen to the episodes so far through the website at www.unframedpodcast.com. Please follow Unframed Podcast on Facebook and Instagram to be kept up to date with new episodes and share with your friends. See you next time. Bye.